VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And we can become really fascinated, curious about this experience of breathing, bringing our attention to the breath now at the nostrils, the point where the air is entering our body, fresh and cool. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley. Yes, that was me, meditating. Along with a bunch of other lanyard-wearing techies. It is that time of year again. It's Dreamforce, the biggest, weirdest corporate event I have ever been to. And I've been to a lot. So for the uninitiated Salesforce, which is the $140 billion software giant, every year they have a conference. And the goal of it is to sell more business software. But Salesforce and its founder, Mark Benioff, take it to a whole nother level. And it is truly beyond parody. Take, for example, my meditation session, which is led by a monk who is one of a whole group that Benioff flies in every year from Bordeaux, France, to help people de-stress while they're there to connect, you know, connect with their inner chi. So you walk into the meditation hall, you kick off your shoes, you zone out for a few minutes, and then you emerge to a giant hall full of wildly enthusiastic salesmen and women giving software demos and handing out swag, lots of swag. So actually, if you're ever in need of pens or USB chargers or thermoses or backpacks or mints, whatever, just come to Dreamforce, although it's quite expensive to come. But you'll walk out with you know, a good year's supply of stuff. But anyhow, the, the conference takes over San Francisco for a, a week each year. Something like 200,000 people descend on the city. And this year, Barack Obama was here speaking. David Beckham, Will I Am, loads of other A-listers from Hollywood and beyond. And it's all part of Benioff's crusade to convince everyone that we can change the world through the magic of business software. And what's amazing about it is just there's the lack of irony and just how many believers there are. It's, it's almost like a religious revival. There's these mascots walking around, like you might see at a, you know, at a football game. But these are software mascots, and people are really excited to take selfies with them. If you go into a keynote about some kind of data analytics app, there are lines of cheerleaders with pom-poms leading cheers and giving high fives as you walk in. Anyhow, the, the whole earnestness of the whole affair and just the juxtaposition of all of it together, the robed monks and mascots and businessmen and puffy vests trading business cards and world leaders. It's just, there's nothing like it. It is kind of quintessential Silicon Valley. But anyway, 
we digress. You didn't download this pod to hear me witter on about Dreamforce. Sorry, it's just top of mind because I've spent all week um, kind of just marveling at this thing. But anyhow, we have a show to do. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? So the way we understand emotion is it's the difference between reality and perception. Yeah. When that difference is positive, there is a positive emotion. When it's not as expected, it becomes a negative emotion. So we are trying to understand what is the reality of this person and what is their expectation? How do they want to look? This week on the program, ooh, it's a good one. We have Purva Gupta on the show, who is the founder of Lily AI. And this is a different kind of AI company because I know there are lots of them. What she is do- doing is using algorithms to interpret our emotions, all the subtle little things happening beneath the surface when we buy clothes or shoes or whatever, fashion. And the goal is to create a detailed profile based on what we're doing online and what products we're looking at, what we're buying, what we're returning, how long we hover over something on a page, lots of data points. And the goal is to basically create a profile that will better predict what you will buy, what you're interested in, and then that being used to power the websites of some of the biggest brands that you would recognize today. We can't say who any of those are, lots of um, non-disclosure agreements apparently, but they're the ones you'd recognize. So I just thought this was an interesting idea, so I headed down to the Valley um, to their office not too long ago uh, to talk to Goop about the company and what they're doing, but also her own personal story, which is really fascinating because she comes from, uh, she's originally from India. She had to navigate this whole wild world of U.S. immigration. Um, And it's really, it's a great story and very interesting technology. So I think you're going to like this one. So without further ado, here is Purva Gupta. Enjoy. So thank you for having me at your global headquarters. Wow. <laughs> Small I mean, office, yeah. but, but it's my pleasure, Danny. Thank yeah. you so much for your um, time. I'm trying to understand what exactly you guys do. And so I was on the website. You can tell me whether this is a correct assessment or not. Basically, you're using AI, effectively algorithms, to get inside the emotions of people as they buy stuff. To create a model, basically, of like, what I'm thinking when I'm looking at those pair of shorts and say, this guy doesn't like his, how his butt looks in those. He needs to be shown these other ones. So, yes. so obviously I'm boiling it down. I'm sure it's more complex but, than that. But you got very close. So, <laughs> so, so at Lily AI, we are helping brands and retailers act on the emotional context of shoppers. Okay. So when you are on the store, when you're, when you're searching for products, you are looking for products that are according to how you imagine it would look on you. Yep. And everybody is trying to accentuate something. They are trying to hide something. They are trying to... There is a lot of emotional context around how they feel about different aspects of a product, how they, what their perception is about how this fabric flatters me or, yep. or does not flatter me. Some of it is objective and mm-hmm. technically also true. Some of it is just perception. And so we are in the business of 
taking the existing what data that these brands and retailers have, which is all the behavioral data, what the customer is clicking, what are they buying, what are they returning. We take the existing data that they have. So they let you into that and see, say, for example, big H&M, for example. Yes. You would, if you were working with them, you'd get into their website and get access to what all these different customers are doing, clicking on how much time they're hovering over something, whatever. Absolutely. So, of course, anonymized. We would just know them by yeah. a number and nothing uh-huh. else. So, so anonymized customer data and product data, we would take those two core data sets that any brand or retailer mm-hmm. has, and then we create a psychographic profile of each user. Psychographics has been around. Yeah. Um, it's a marketing concept, has been around for a while. So far, psychographics have been used on a segment. So, let's say women who like yoga. Yep. So interest-based psychographics have been very popular, especially on Facebook and uh, and all of these. Yeah, because psychographics were the thing around uh, Cambridge Analytica. They were using creating psychographic profiles and then targeting voters. Also, based correct. on that, correct. Mostly, it's been done on segments, but there is a deeper meaning to that, which is okay. the cognitive attributes about the opinions, the concerns, um, the interests, the lifestyle of each shopper. So psychographics for individual shoppers has not been done. And specifically in a way that that leads to a delightful experience for a shopper has definitely not been done. So, for example, take the H&M example. Is there an analog with, I don't know, say Facebook or Twitter or whatever? I have my personalized feed. I've chosen to follow these people. Twitter surfaces things that I also might like, etc. You're doing that. We would be doing that within H&M's website. So each person once they log in they will have like a kind of personalized feed of stuff that will be shown to them is that the idea yes so the way products are shown today they're mostly powered by you being a part of some segment yeah because of some things you did there'll be probably broad four to ten segments and you belong to that segment hence your experience should mimic that of the segment yeah let's say for example that pair of shorts what you think about them that is missed today so, but how much can you extract from just what I, from, for example, the, the mythical pair of shorts? I mean, I click on it, I buy it. How do you have any idea what I was thinking, why I chose those, how that choice means that I would like X, Y, or Z? Great question. That's why the way we do this is, so for the fashion category, mm-hmm. every detail in every category, so if it's clothing, if it's shoes, if it's handbags, Every little detail in fashion, we have our deep learning engines, our, our machine learning engines to understand all of that. So it's not just that one product or one action that you did with one product that's populating everything. Mm-hmm. It's all a predictive psychographic profile, which is a living profile on whatever you're doing with that brand. So let's say you opened an email somewhere and that gave us some more input. Then you went on the store, then you spent five minutes. Everything that you did on the store has weightage. So that's how we are predicting your affinity to every attribute in fashion. Let's say one of the attributes is a tank top. Mm-hmm. So we know your affinity to that. And then basically the next time that you are in for that product, we can predict what you're most likely to like and buy. Right. So how many data points would go into something like this? So overall, our <clears throat> engines are trained for 15,000 such attributes for the entire category of fashion. That we understand. So each person's profile. As opposed profile, to, say, half a dozen. Even less than that today. Does this work? 
<laughs> Great question. So, so we are today working with some of the largest. We're working with a, a top-tier mass merchant, top-tier department store, a few luxury brands, a few consignment stores. Mm-hmm. This is as good as it gets on scale with all these large, yeah. large players. We have seen that we are able to move the needle by at least a few hundred million dollars. So to your question, does it work? Yes, we have proven that already. For one of them, we were able to increase their sell-through rate in almost double digits. For one of them, we were able to increase their recommender system's prediction accuracy by more than 35%. The results that we are seeing are unbelievably strong. Going down this path could be the next big shift in retail. That's really interesting because I feel like a lot of people who would be listening to this would be like, okay, you have the fashion website X on one side, the magic AI black box, and then poof, out the other side comes amazing results. And there's a lot of AI nonsense out there. Hey, everything's AI. Absolutely. It's like electricity. Yes. Like everybody and their mom is using it. Maybe they don't even know. It's about the type of application that you create out of it. And what is the business case that it's aligned to? How big of a challenge is it, especially if you're working with you know some big brands, do they all have this data readily available and like usable? Because it feels like a lot, I mean, every day you read about giant store chain X going out of business. And a lot of them just seem come kind of in the dark ages around data, what they have, they don't know, how to use it, etc. I imagine that's got to be a, a barrier for a company like yours where that's what you need to make this whole thing go. Very interesting question, Danny. So so the first step of what we do is, especially, so let's say if we start with the product catalog data, mm-hmm. we generate that for them. Mm-hmm. So all that we need is just one or two images of the product itself, right? So let's say we take the existing state of their product catalog, we just ingest it, and we generate all this enrichment for the product catalog. On the other side, with respect to customer data, we can ingest it in whichever form that they have. This is the behavioral data. Mm. This is just analytics of what their customers are doing. It is there, but it's sometimes also difficult to consume it. Sometimes it's difficult to just put it in one place for sure. But at the same time, the beauty is we are generating more data for them. We are generating this predictive psychographic profile, which doesn't exist anywhere. Nobody has this data. We are creating that data. So the way we've built the platform, we can take whatever they have existing today and then generate this enrichment on those two types of data sets and then create an application out of it. So we're trying to proof it with what the characteristics of retail are today. Which are, it feels like it's two ends of the spectrum. Like kind of dark ages just waiting to go bankrupt and a whole new generation of like kind of online more savvy companies true are you an engineer no with respect to my background i'm an economist by education non-engineer non-fashion non-retail non-psychology but interestingly we've so that's what you just decided to do is a startup in all of those fields basically yes i acquired all of it (laughs) i learned everything because i think what has driven me in the last four years in this journey has been the problem that we were trying to solve and then whatever. Yeah, so how did you arrive here? So let's talk about your story. Absolutely. Five years back, I moved to the U.S. Um, from where? From India. Which part? I'm from northern India, 
Rajasthan. Okay. It's, it's a beautiful state. I moved here to work with UNICEF in New York. I helped them launch their first venture capital-inspired funding vehicles that was investing in life-saving apps and technologies globally. How does one get into that? Were you What were you doing in India? So I was working with a startup in the mobile payment space for the uh-huh. underbanked population. Uh-huh. Right. And so this startup was backed by the Gates Foundation. I worked there for about three years mm-hmm. and really just just fell in love with the concept that you create a product that changes people's life for good. And also got bitten by the startup bug that if I want to do anything in my life, it is to work on products, build products that have a huge impact on, on the world. They change the world for the good yep. forever. And then I also briefly worked with the Coastal Impact Fund, which is the impact fund of Coastal Ventures. I was dabbling in the field a little bit of tech investing. At the startup that I worked with, I knew that the product that I was selling was, I was doing dummy transactions because I was not a, a mm-hmm. consumer of that. So I knew that when I start up, I have to be the first user of it because if I yeah. cannot contribute to that, if I can't think like my consumer, it's hard. Yeah. And just a personal preference. And so when I landed in New York, I came here um, as a student spouse, which is on an F2 a visa. student spouse. Yes, my husband okay. was starting school at Yale. I was on an F2 visa, which does not allow me to work. And so it, it aligned with working with UNICEF as I got on a diplomat visa that right. allows me to work. So I got there, but New York happened to me in a way that I'd never experienced before. Fashion happened to me in a way that I'd definitely never experienced before. When the excitement settled down, I was able to observe my own behavior and my feelings as to what was going on. So I had this new little money to go spend and shop. In, in New York. In New York yeah. uh, for fashion. But at the same time, I started to observe that I wasn't very, very happy with the experience. It felt like I'm walking into stores and the clothes are at the center of the entire experience. These brands are saying, come in if you can fit in, great. Otherwise, go to the next store. And I'm doing that again and again, over and over in the the same process. And nobody's trying to understand me. And my frustration is not going down. Like It's just Mm -hmm. adding up to a point where I'm like, I'm walking into the store. I have the intention to buy. I have the money to buy. I have the time to buy. But you don't want my money, it seems like. So I felt like this is good enough problem for me to scratch more, but I definitely wanted to make sure that this is not an immigrant problem that I have. What if other women in in this yeah. country did not feel like that at all? And so I wanted to make sure that I I first understand the nerve of this. And so I very quickly incubated this hypothesis at Yale, which gave me access to a lot of young women pretty quickly. And I just wanted to ask them one question. Why did you buy the last item of clothing you bought? Just describe everything to so me. So you just started asking random women this? Sort of, but I <laughs> I try to organize it by through the Yale community, through events, gotcha. so that I do not really sound as random, but literally yeah, yeah. it was that. Yeah. And it was better like that because they were just telling me what, mm-hmm. what, like it was not biased at all. So as they're describing their last experience of whatever product they bought, I'm just asking them every detail. Why did you pick that product? What were you thinking? So, And I was surprised how much detail women were telling me about how they thought about that product. And I was like, where did you get all these details? So in the store, it was definitely not written. Online, also some of those details were not written on the product description page. Yeah. So I was like, how did you, how are you telling me all this detail? And I understood that they care about it because they're trying to really judge every product with how will it look on them. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing I learned was some of these details were not even objective. They were their perception. 
they were saying how the fabric fits on them how it feels to them so that's when i understood that there is an emotional context especially in fashion of how people are making these purchases mm-hmm. and that is definitely not captured by any experience today the other hypothesis which i also validated was that if fashion could have just been solved by a few rules then it would have been solved mm-hmm. by magazines and a lot of other things yeah. but it's not like that so which means that there is this unique individual context that is used by each shopper and if we have to create delightful experiences for each one individually then then that needs to be understood right that i thought is a very very meaningful problem that i could leave my husband on the east coast for saying you can keep studying i have to go i'm too pregnant with this idea i yeah. have to go to silicon valley and build this right and so i came to silicon valley i knew that i have some things that don't work in my favor i'm non fashion non retail technology non psychology but i want to solve this problem You're which a woman. Uh, <laughs> yes that is <laughs> that is also something in the entrepreneurial community that also becomes a disadvantage mm-hmm. at least at the very beginning so i came here uh, started with uh, an incubator here called founder institute wanted to stand on some network gave me a pretty good platform and that's how i also met with unshackled ventures with them as an investor i started my journey of when they invested unshackled who are the ones who introduced us yeah and they specialize in helping immigrant founders but when they backed you what did you have how far down the path were you at that point yeah so because i was moonlighting <clears throat> in new york i'd spent almost a year speaking to women and and by that time i'd spoken to at least 800 odd women so i had really solid hypothesis mm-hmm. and i had really good data backing it so directionally even though i did not have the team and the product and everything else figured out mm-hmm. or built out i had a good action plan as to what do i need to do to get there and yep. initially this started as a consumer app so i also had a prototype so i had something but very little yeah so then you come out here you have this prototype you get some initial backing from unshackled and then what i mean have you raised more money since then yes so so we've now raised a little over 4 and 1/2 million in seed capital mm-hmm. it started as a consumer idea first the whole hypothesis as a consumer product i then went on a journey to first find my co-founder it took me a few tries before i found the right person and why a co-founder why why not just do it yourself My preference was to share it with a partner because this is a crazy ride. And then the other reason, the logical one was also I wanted a technical co-founder to make sure that right. we have complementary skills. And so after I f- I found my co-founder, we we launched the Lily app mm-hmm. at South by Southwest where we also won as the best startup in social culture category. We ran it for for almost a year and we had a very high conversion rate. We validated the hypothesis behind the technology okay but at the same time the business model was one which was not which we were not too excited by especially as first time founders we were very clear that if we just have to keep raising venture capital money without getting revenue that's not very attractive it worked for uber we did start with it but it hurt more when we saw that this thing actually works and we should make money on it early as possible and yeah. so last year is when we we moved to an enterprise model and now we're working with some of these largest brands and retailers. So just to add to that, I've been on six different visas to finally six six different visas. And I've, how many 
How many years have you been out here? Four years. Five years in the U.S. Uh, that four sounds years quite stressful. For sure. There were at least two two times in my journey, two months, that I didn't know what I'm going to do end of the month. Mm. If I'm going to be here in this country or not. Forget the company. Like, I didn't know what's right. going to happen to me and my husband if we can be around here. Definitely extremely, extremely stressful times. But I think entrepreneurs are irrational people who who do figure out solutions and do not give up. Yeah, because everything you've described so far, just in terms of your background and trying to do it here, none of that sounds rational. Sure. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's really interesting that this is all about understanding emotion and trying to basically create an algorithmic model of human emotion. Because just those, just that very, those words all put together, algorithm, emotion, you know, it feels like they're polar opposites. Like this, this is code. This is the antithesis of humanity. In other words, what you're doing is you are kind of repu- replicating human emotions with numbers. Absolutely. And we are building in that variability that happens with emotions. The fact that a woman can change her mind on this is built into it. But knowing what she is thinking is what we are trying to understand. So you build in the flip-flopping. Yes, absolutely. Because like you said, that's, that's the very core of it. Mm. So it goes up and down, it changes. So the way we understand emotion is, it's the difference between reality and perception. Yeah. When that difference is positive, there is a positive emotion. When it's not as expected, it becomes a negative emotion. So we are trying to understand what is the reality of this person and what is their expectation. How do they want to look? Like, like for example, in my customer development, I found that a size 00 and a size 24, when you both ask them, they both say, I don't like my thighs. And you're like, how do I put logic yeah. to this? What yeah. are you saying? At least one of those, why are they saying that? But it's their own perception because they think like that. To each individual, what is their expectation from their own self, from their body, from their, from their preferences, how they want to look, what is their aspiration? Because it is so unique to each each person, it needs to be understood at that level. And so there is a model that's being created for them, for each individual on how they think, what are the different specifications of how do they think. And so the variability is built into it because that can change based on what they are mm-hmm. doing recently or what they are not doing recently. So the other question is, is say, go back to the H&M example, like let's say I shop at H&M once every, I don't know, three months. I live my life outside of H H and M. Yeah, it's not like a, this. That's like my platform of choice. <laughs> that's how I get my news. Yeah. So, do you have access to the rest of customers' online life? How does that work? Because it does feel like you're trying to do a whole lot with not much in terms of data. You asked me what's next, so that's what future looks like. Where learning about the customer in more ways is definitely what is on the roadmap. It's not near term because what we are trying to do near term is is prove the hypothesis more and get to those business milestones of what we need as a company. Mm-hmm. But I think in the future, this like for us to get access to more data is definitely what is on the roadmap. But how does it work today? Is it just retailer X just gives you all the data they have on like my account and that's it? Is that the data you can work with? Yes. And so that's why, again, knowing that is the reality, that there is less data for at least a 
a sizable segment of the users knowing that that's the reality we have built it in a way that with we can start creating a good hypothesis of the psychographic profile of the user with very little data but it so of course it's a living profile and it it gets richer with more data yeah as like with the journey of the customer but what is proving to be very effective is just with very little data we are able to do very well so we have reason to believe it'll get really really good as and how often does it just go wrong like i go on my website and i'm all of a sudden I'm recommended a pair of like mc hammer pants which i of course would not be caught dead in that's not one of the metrics that we're looking at right now more from the persp- so it doesn't go terribly wrong because that's not how crazy bets we are taking in the algorithms today especially when there is less data hmm. so if if there is good amount of data then we are taking a lot more bets and and that we have seen is working the range of 95% accuracy but in terms of when there is less data then we are also not taking a lot crazier bets and so the metric there is how well is it working than really what can go wrong because there is very little data so for yeah. it to go wrong like we're not taking those types of bets anyway right let's extrapolate out to some crazy extreme from this limited data set exactly right you're kind of staying within a lane so yes. to speak yes like for it to go wrong is not we're optimizing for or that's not a problem that anyone has or that's not the discussion that is definitely a discussion when there is a lot more data and so in in those scenarios that's what i'm saying that with more data we're definitely in a very very good shape as you're listening to me daisy apple's iphone disassembly robot is dismantling an iphone into lots of recyclable parts that's how apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods thanks daisy there's more to iphone many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plushcare plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with stamps.com. Sign up with code program for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Have you thought about what if that future might look like, I don't know, 5 years from now? For example, would it be like when I sign up to Twitter? By that point you've signed a deal with Twitter and when i sent to my account be like well you know agree or disagree to give consent to lily ai so i won't comment on that specific for um, you know what i mean a social media platform for example yes and so i think 
with respect to our future, the way we're thinking about this is, the bigger theme is still psychographics. So our vision is that emotional context is going to distinguish successful experiences in the future. So that's where we are headed. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to just apply this to fashion. We want to go to other categories. We want to do everything in retail and beyond. If it's a cup of yogurt to an Audi, whatever you're buying, you're using your cognitive attributes. Yeah, because, for example, cars are super emotional and probably the the most expensive thing people buy after a house. (laughs) Yes. And so, so again, the fact that we are creating a psychographic profile of a user that could that could transcend into other categories. So the way we want to go about it is we want to go by verticals and so not just go everywhere to everything because then it'll yeah. still not get uh, super personalized to that individual level. So we want to go category by category into those verticals into that so that we can keep the quality of personalization and then expand it like that. So. So the path is that we want to create these deeper psychographic profiles of every individual that can be applied to a lot of categories. But that's the challenge, right? Is because all of this is anonymized. So how would you then be able to be like, okay, well, this person, we have him over here fashion in the fashion world or at this store. But we also know he, but I'm about to buy a car now. So in the future, if you also have that vertical, how does that, how do you connect those dots if I'm anonymized? Yes. And so for us to have access to those types of data sets, that type of data that connects the two, that's definitely also on the roadmap. We have to do that. If it's through some of these large social networks, if it's through different types of data that is available outside, third-party data. So all of that has to be on the roadmap. Yeah. But we're not we're, not worrying about that too much right yeah, now. Yeah. Like we're taking our steps towards understanding this. Right. And it, in general terms, I presume social networks, are those the richest troves for what you or, what you or a lot of other companies are doing? For sure. So that's a great question. So not necessarily. So here's the thing. I think they have they are great troves of data. But mm-hmm. then again, for for us to go down that path as the only way to do this, I don't think that's true. Because of the fact that the type of data that they have is is a lot more around the social than really about the products also. Mm. And we're doing it the other way where we are trying to we are trying to take the commerce data and derive their social out of it versus take the social data and derive the commerce data out of it. Right. And right. so so both have their pros and cons. In our scenario, the way we're looking at it is if we go if that's about a car or if that's about a yogurt, a cup of yogurt, we can also take that individually and then figure out a way to connect it. Because there's a lot of noise that also comes with all of that other data. Yeah. And not necessarily the the right signals that can come out of it than start with the commerce data. And so when you got out here and you started kind of making the rounds, how were, we, were you received? What was your experience as an immigrant, as a woman, trying to do something in which you don't have a ton of background? It has been really, really hard, <laughs> to say the least. But... Also, Do you have like a stack of letters, like rejection letters that you're keeping when this becomes a thing? I don't think there is a need to. <laughs> to... <laughs> yeah, I mean, all founders anywhere in the world, they have to build the immunity to rejection every single day. Did you have that when you got here? I don't think so. I think I, I understood that that's an important quality or that's an important trait that I need to develop. But I mm. definitely... From my previous life, I didn't have it because I, 
it wasn't really required yeah and especially the things that i was doing before if it was at business school or at school or um in my previous jobs i was excelling and and i was i was used to the other side of it to getting a lot more accolades yeah. and and being in my comfortable spot but in this type of a journey it's not necessarily just like that that you did your share of hard work and then everything else will fall in place it's not happening like that there's too many things that are working together and it all has to come together yeah. in a way uh, that's like and it has to make a lot more meaning for it to be accepted by the world than really just okay i put in my hard work and she put in her hard work and they should just work right the journey made me learn all those things i've had my crazy times of not understanding why this investor is rejecting me why this customer is rejecting me but at the same time i think now when i look back we have had the pleasure of working with some of the best investors um the best advisors um and the best customers as we see it today so i think that i have learned that over time that there is a reason why these things are happening and you don't start to rationalize that when it's happening to no. you no and also i don't think that i would approach any rejection by saying yeah yeah it's not meant to be let's just leave it and like i mean you don't want to start like that but i think in hindsight throughout the whole journey whenever i've looked back and understood where i'm heading why this is making sense why that rejection makes sense i think i've gotten more confident that this actually does make sense this should have happened like this right and let me try to make it this way better on this front next time so i think that's very helpful that throughout the whole journey if you're learning and making sense of everything that's happening that helps you grow as a founder as to where do you want to take this and generally just become more self confident did you ever get close to giving up many times i think was there one moment where you're like oh, i'm just going to go back to india definitely i think not really just going back to india because my husband was still here oh, of course yes so two specific ones one was it was going back to india because the country wouldn't take me almost in terms of um the us wouldn't take you yeah right and then another moment i would say as i founder dated to find the right right co-founder if i if i stopped at that moment then we would not be here or mm. or it would be a different place today but so i do feel that those were particularly hard moments but when i say it happens many times i think i do get to a point where i get frustrated many times that why is this happening like this what does this mean why am i in this position does it mean something bigger does it mean that it's not going to work or something what i do like about my journey or how i have grown as a founder is that i am able to in the next few seconds make or in the next few minutes make sense out of the fact that all right let's look at it objectively what has happened why do i think this is not going to work what does this mean and so yeah. the more objective i try to be in those situations i'm able to see more clearly that what needs to happen now now that this has happened and so so i just feel that i've just made peace with myself that this will keep happening this will happen that right. i will get frustrated I will feel disappointed and I will feel really heartbroken at times but that doesn't mean like so that is not going to stop happening that will keep happening but I do have to have the courage and build that immunity to getting myself to thinking objectively after that even if in my objective thinking I'm like that's where I need to like work more on and like build myself more build on my immunity more yeah. as to how do I 
then see through things more clearly. This you have, is to, going to, you to, have to train the muscle. Really. Right. And I like to believe that as this company grows, <laughs> that, that'll come handy. Yeah. This will happen. I just need to build more muscle. So can we just talk about founder dating real quick? Yes, absolutely. So, how does that work? Who's your co-founder now? My co-founder and my work better half, like I'd like mm. to say, is Samia Chokanarayanan. Briefly, her experiences, she worked with Yahoo before, and then she worked with Pocket Gems, built the top gaming apps in the App Store during that time. And then she worked with Box for about four years, where uh, she worked from on both the consumer and the enterprise pieces. Gotcha. She's one of the best engineers Silicon Valley has. Her ability is to break down things into the, the smallest pieces and then work them up, build that into that crazy right. solution and simplify things and then build that out. A lot of people ask both of us as founders that you do not have this AI background. How have you built mm -hmm. one of the deepest applications in this space? And we tell them that we have the problem happened to us first and AI happened later. We were not building you it. You didn't set out to be like, we are going to create an exactly. AI company, right? right? And the way we like to think about it is, like, that's not the highlight of what we are doing. We are trying to solve a problem, and that's what we focus on. Yes, we do use deep learning. Yes, we do use machine learning. That happens to be how we're, we're solving the problem. But it's not that we, we set out to create this AI company, or that's what we do. That's why I feel like we have been successful in try as we're getting closer and closer to solving that problem. So how many founders did you date before you swiped, swiped was it right or left? I can't remember. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, so I founder dated three co-founders before I met with Samia. And so how does that work? So did you already have a company by that point? Be like, okay, here's my idea. What do you think? Let's give this two weeks and see how it goes. No, I think, I think all three of them, they were awesome people. They were just not... But how do you find them? Like, what is that process of like, okay, I'm starting a company. I need, you know, a co-pilot with me. So I, I did everything that I could do. Every little piece in my body was trying to figure out what network, who can I ask, and how do I go about it? Because I was in the US, and network was not my strength, yeah. let's say it like that. I just made sure that every platform, every person, whoever I could ask for help for, I did that. So you're sending out kind of cold emails or are you just going like calling random people on AngelList or I mean, what was it? Or through warm intros. So let's put that out warm there. Warm intros. So, yes. so everything. So if it's yes. warm intros, if it's cold emails, it's really me trying to figure out that, you know, it's not just about converting also. Like it's not just that I, I do 10 things and, you know, all 10 should convert. Yeah. It's really me also understanding in that process who are the right people. So not all 10 responded, but two or three did. And it made me also understand how they were thinking about this. So like, for example, early on, I understood that folks who were at a certain stage in their career, right, or with their visa status, if they were on an H1B and they did not want to, they wanted me to already have a capability to, let's say, just, you know, transfer their H1B. Right, right, right. Right. right? So like from right. their visa standpoint, they were not ready, right? Yeah. So again, all these things and the and the variations of this, I mean, this is a simple example, but there is more nuances to this of what kind of specific situation they were in. Doing this outreach also made me understand and create my buckets on who do I want to go after, which is the right person for me. Yeah. Really, because I was 
so pregnant with the idea and the and I so wanted to solve the problem and I wanted to I have been married to that problem from that day four years back to today and I think that's what drove me through all of these ups and downs yeah. got one did not work out got to the next one did not work out got out, I went to the next one did not work and out so when it doesn't work so so you find somebody be like hey I think we're on the same page here let's try this how long do you give it before you go mm, let's sit down and have a conversation this isn't working out we're breaking up I think it's it's really like dating. You don't like when you know. <laughs> you just when you know you know. Yeah, when you know when you know. So, I think one thing that has helped me a lot in this journey is just being true to who am I? Who I am. And just being really open to people and being very frank and candid for them to know what I'm thinking. Yeah. And also put it out there for us to make sure that we're both on the same page. So, how long how long did the the longest one last? Probably six months. And the shortest? Three months. Right. Because this was like the first first year of when I was trying to do this, when yeah. I'm still trying to figure out my visa, it's really a research at that point. It's not yeah. even in, incorporated. Well, that's what I was, was going to ask also, because you're like, all right, we're founders now together. Three months later, it doesn't work out. Yeah. Do they have stock at that point? Do they give that back? Is that become quite a bitter conversation? Yeah, and... Thankfully for me, it never happened like that because there right. is already we- there's already vesting, there is all of those things. But for a few of these, it was really an understanding because it was not even incorporated at that moment. Right. So it was a lot more about two people trying to get on the same vision. Everything else is getting like we're working backwards from that. Once I understood that they are not they are not as aligned on the vision, then it became a very mutual conversation for both of us to right. say that it's not really working out. And because this was so early also, for me, and I'm really thankful that it never got dirty, And but it was very discouraging, for sure. I've already taken the bets that I've taken. I don't have a job. I, I gave up my visa. Yeah. I'm already on this path, and I've done a lot more there for me to feel like, all right, I'm not giving up, so I have to still figure out how do I go to the next stage. Just going back to the original kernel of the idea, was there a day where you walked out of, I don't know, Bloomingdale's? And we're like, this sucks. I'm going to solve this problem. I don't remember exactly when I walked out of a store that that happened. But I do remember it was on um, on the train back from New York to New Haven. I used to take the train mm-hmm. up and down every day. And so I do remember it was on that Metronaut train <laughs> where I was I was wondering that I get up at five o'clock in the morning and how how I dress and show up to work and how what other people do. How come, like, we're going to the same stores, but I'm not picking the right products for me? And, <laughs> like, right. how do all these people look so amazing? Why don't I get my shopping experience that optimized right. as to what I'm buying? And why is the store not trying to also help me? Because we're probably spending the same amount of money. Yeah. And so... But you walk out dissatisfied and somebody yes. else is like, I look fantastic. Yeah. And, yeah. and and so for me to feel, so I think I just started becoming a lot more conscious with this, of everything that was happening when mm. I was standing in front of my wardrobe, when I was think, like looking at other people, when I was buying something, it, all of this was going on in my mind as like, it was, something was telling me that, why is it like this? And why not like that? And so like, those were the things that all came together one day where I felt like, why don't I ask other people about this? Right. I'm thinking all these things. There's so many thoughts that I have. Why don't I ask other American women about this? 
as to what's going on in their mind how do they think about clothing right. how do they think about fashion and to my surprise when i heard other women talk similarly of how they feel and and then what i also did is at yale i did a lot more research into how women like from the age of 2 so like for example girls at the age of 2 start getting negative thoughts about their body as as early as when they start looking at recognizing themselves in the mirror mm-hmm. that's when they start disliking parts of their body it's it's really how there's a lot about how our society is structured and how that happens to the effect that women in this country get 13 negative thoughts about themselves every single day and so as i started reading a lot more about it i was very 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 surprised to see that you know this is a much bigger problem than how, what i was thinking and i'm definitely in a privileged position of how the little surface that i was scratching yeah but i found a lot more under it for me to for me to get convinced that this is a problem worth solving right and the consequences that this image and what shopping does to women and that whole vicious circle of how you keep doing in that again and again that leads to how we do other things in our life on this point around the kind of power of psychographics or not have you thought about well there are a couple questions one have you thought about what limitations if any you will put on this because also theoretically you could give this to tobacco companies vaping companies who are apparently targeting quite young people yep Where is the line drawn between we are helping you have a better experience, find the things that are good for you that make you feel good and we're manipulating manipulating you to, you know, buy our product. Just like with our Cambridge Analytica, you know, like we're going to we're going to poke that button because yeah. we know that's going to get you riled up and really get you engaged and vote for our guy. Are you thinking about that? and have you drawn started to think about drawing where you draw lines around that Absolutely I'm so glad you asked that question Danny So the fact that we have a very strong consumer DNA we started this company to solve this problem for the consumer in a way that makes them look and feel their best because that is the at the core of everything we do that's the conversation that we have every day How do we want to think about the best interest of the consumer So first of all for products that that we do not believe in are in the best interest of the user we do not want to even extend ourselves to those things so at least like those types of products we don't even want to that's not even in our road map for us to understand we don't want to do it because we don't believe in it as much like what so so like for example the tobacco companies of the world mm-hmm. for us to not even offer ourselves as a service for those products because we cannot see how that like we don't believe in it as much right. for us to be of use in those scenarios right. so first of all that and secondly the way we have built our our whole product it's about creating that delightful experience for the user and as we see that our product is being used for anything that is that's harmful to the user or not in their best interest we don't want to make revenue out of that and especially because that is just against who we are mm-hmm. what we stand for is understanding the emotional context so that we can make people look and feel their best so if that's where we are headed we want to make sure that you know the way our products are used the way our our technology is is integrated and leveraged at these brands and retailers and other ecosystems we want to be very very careful of where we are headed 
and how it is being used. And and because of the type of product we we are creating, we absolutely understand the responsibility of of how this can be misused. So to that effect, this responsibility and this this DNA of of who we are is definitely the number one thing will keep us in check. It'll be interesting though, because if indeed this does work at scale, you guys won't be the only ones to build something like this. And there will be others who perhaps don't have your moral fortitude. And we'll use it for things that like, all right, we're going to push somebody towards, you know, use it in politics or whatever, or buy things that are addictive or whatever. Casinos could use it. Danny, that is happening as we speak right now. And so if you see that, you know, with respect to Cambridge Analytica, that happened in 2016, Mm -hmm. three years back. This is all happening as we speak. Like that will happen. It's for those people who are creating that because for them to do innovation in a wrong, for a wrongful purpose, that's very, very hard to stop. That has happened for any type of mm-hmm. innovation in our history, right? So that's very, very hard for for the whole world to say, let's not use AI, let's stop developing and innovating more on that. That's not going to happen. I think it's very hard to find any such example from the past, right? So if we can't stop that, what we can do is, as innovation is happening, we can we can just be more careful for, for every type of innovator, for them to know fully what they're trying to build and how how that is going to happen. And so I think we don't share the psychographic profile itself with any of our brands or retailers. We sell an application of that. And that can be used only to a certain extent. Right. So, and you, so have, you, you have your hands on that. Correct. Basically. And so that's what I'm saying. The fact that we understand the responsibility of it, and not just for that responsibility reason, let me make sure that I'm not saying just because of yeah. responsibility, but also because of, so we keep that for IP reasons, but also knowing that that helps us be more responsible too mm. in how we are understanding what we are understanding and where the application is being used. So we want to be very careful of how, what types of applications we are enabling and what types of data points we are learning about the customer and how that is useful. It's a fascinating subject. I think those are all my questions, and I've taken a lot of your time. So there's, I hear music and things happening in the office, so I'll let you get back to that. But thank you very much for taking the time. It was absolutely my, my pleasure, Danny. Thank you so much for your time. This was fun. Yeah, it was. Thanks. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Perva for taking the time to sit down and explain all of that to me like a dummy. As you could probably tell, it's kind of hard to kind of, or at least it was for me, to wrap your head around exactly how all this works. But I do think it's interesting. It does feel like this is kind of the direction of travel for uh, retail, at least the ones that hope to survive. Anyhow, I will be writing not about that this week, but we'll be doing something on Dreamforce. So if you want to hear more about the jambor- the spiritual and capitalistic jamboree that is Dreamforce, check out the Sunday Times this weekend. One la- two last things. One, please take a moment, give us a rating and review. It really does help other folks find the show. And two, that Danny in the Valley unicorn swag, I think I might do it. I'll make an announcement or, you know, let you guys know what's happening at the top of the next show. Stay tuned for that. That's it. Have a great one. See you next week. Bye-bye.
iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 